Welcome to the Church Basement Podcast. Today's topic is Reconciling in Christ, otherwise known as RIC. Grab a cup of coffee or tea, strap on your running shoes, or pick up your knitting needles and join us. But first, let us introduce ourselves. As you may notice, I am Don Miller, not Pastor Amanda, who is away. So we have a special guest. And our guest today is Leo Bancroft, and I'm going to let him introduce himself. Thanks, Don. I am Leo Bancroft. I am a mission developer for The Flame in Southwest Portland, Oregon, which is an LGBTQIA outreach of the Lutheran Church here in Oregon. And you can read more about us at theflamepdx.org. Excellent. I'm also a member of the National Board and our local chapter of Reconciling Works, which is the sponsoring body for the RIC program. Okay, so the first thing I want to sort of cover is... Where are we right now with the LGBTQI acronym? Because that seems to be changing. Correct. Every now and again. How often does it change and where are we at right now? Different folks use kind of have a different philosophy for the letters that they use. And so up until recently, a lot of folks were saying LGBT, which is lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender. Uh And then people sometimes now add the Q for queer. I sometimes will say Q plus to indicate the other identities or we'll add the I for intersex and the A for asexual. Okay. There are other letters that are also added sometimes. When I'm speaking specifically with reference to the flame, we were specifically commissioned with those letters or if you will, identities in mind. And so I mentioned them as well. I'm asking this because as a middle-aged cisgendered female, I don't want to do anything wrong. Right. So I want to make sure that we're starting off on the right foot. Okay, that out of the way. What is RIC? Great. Well, so RIC, or as you said, Reconciling in Christ, is really the flagship program of Reconciling Works. So I'll take a step back and tell you what Reconciling Works is. That sounds great. So Reconciling Works is a national nonprofit organization that walks alongside the Lutheran Church in order to help churches learn how to welcome, include, and celebrate the LGBTQ community. Are we specifically talking the ELCA? I'm assuming we are. Yes, but it is not a partner. It's a separate advocacy organization. Okay. Yes. So the Reconciling Works has a program that is the Reconciling in Christ program, and that is a way for churches to explicitly include a welcome to people of all gender identities and sexual orientations. And we feel that that's important because often the churches have not been a safe place and someone in the LGBTQ community doesn't know if a church is going to say that they're welcome but then try to change them. Sure. I can imagine that would be a difficult thing to do, to walk into a church, which you would assume would be a safe space, and then come across something not safe would be disheartening at best. Yeah, absolutely. So when did the RAC movement start? Well, the Reconciling Works started in 1974. Oh, wow. That's a lot longer ago than I was expecting. Yes. So it was started by some folks who got a grant to talk together about their sexual orientation and the church and how the church is maybe an oppressive place for them. So that started in 1974. And in 1984 was when the first congregation then became 
what is known as Reconciling in Christ. So that was a church that had gone through a conversation together as a community, written an affirmation of welcome, and then became Reconciling in Christ. Is that something that the church members wanted to bring about, or is that something that came from higher up in the church hierarchy? Depending on the context, it'll happen either from the local community or from the pastor may want that for his congregation or her congregation. Do you mean the original program? Did it come from the higher ups or from the local community? Well, yeah, I'm curious who was asking for it, if it was the congregations themselves or if from higher up in the church, they decided, you know what, we should be welcoming people. Right. So it is from the congregations. Although, interestingly, that group that started in 1974, which when they came together, they named themselves uh, Lutherans Concerned for Gay People. And then as we've talked about, the letters and understanding of different identities expanded later to include lesbians and then bisexual and transgender folks and so on. That group came together with a grant that originally actually came from the National Office of the Church. Oh, interesting. I was surprised at that as well, actually. It was from the director for Discovering Ministries. Jim Siefkes was the pastor who was in that position with the ALC, a huge ally. And he procured that grant to enable this organization to start. However, all of the growth and the kind of demand, if you will, then came from local congregations. Like There has been no mandate from the national church level that they should become a Reconciling in Christ congregation. Okay, so we've talked around it, but let's be explicit. What does it mean to be an RIC congregation? An RIC congregation, or it could be a synod or a college or a seminary or even a summer camp, Okay, is a setting that has gone through a process of discernment together that then culminates in writing some sort of statement that we call it either a welcome statement or an affirmation of welcome that says explicitly that people of all sexual orientations and gender identities or all people who are lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender are welcome and included in that congregation. And the wording may vary, and it is wonderful to see the different variety that churches express their mission of hospitality in that. However, they write that statement and then they have to vote on it so that the community owns it. This can't be something that just one person decides because... That's not going to work. It's not going to work. And then it might then have a rainbow sticker on the outside and not be a safe place if the whole community does not own that decision. So there's a vote And then once the vote happens, then we just notify the National Office of Reconciling Works. And there's a a list that you can be on and you can go to reconcilingworks.org and see the list of congregations that are welcoming. And we celebrate that then. Is that the best way to find one of these congregations? Yes, absolutely. So reconcilingworks.org, you can look on the find a Reconciling in Christ congregation or find an RIC congregation. And you can search, it's a dynamic site that you can search by zip code or city and state and so forth. We have over 740 settings in the United States and Canada. So it's growing rapidly from that first one in 1984. I'm going to be honest, I'm kind of sad that there aren't more, but that's still a pretty fantastic number. Yeah, I think we're at around 8% of the ELCA. Oh, wow. I really wanted that to be a higher percentage. Indeed. We are definitely in a time where the 
pace of acceptance, if you will, and pace of inclusion is accelerating. Oh, definitely. But we have so far to come still to get to a point where we're on, if you will, even playing ground or if we get, you know, get to the halfway point or so forth. Has there been an uptick in Reconciling in Christ settings with the last at least year, year and a half? Absolutely. We are coming on the one-year anniversary, for example, of the Pulse shooting in Orlando. And after that event, we saw many congregations say, we need to do something to say that LGBT folks are beautiful and beloved by God. And so they had been working through the process, and then they decided, let's make this decision now. This is really important. I think also some people have seen an increase in the discrimination laws that are being passed and saying this is not who our church is. This is not who we are as a people of faith. And so there have been an increase in congregations saying, what do we do? How can we say all are beloved? So yes, there's been an increase, which is great. But within the ELCA, there's still four positions that are valid within our community of congregations. So there can be still congregations in the ELCA that advocate for reparative therapy, for example. Oh, wow. And so that is still hugely problematic. It's hugely problematic for a pastor to say that they're going to help someone pray away their sinful behavior, which is fundamentally opposite of what I believe as a person of faith. So that is one of the reasons that we do still have a lot of work to do. And we, and we celebrate that we're at 8%, but we need to continue to have these conversations and we need to continue to build relationships too. Yeah, there's 92% to go yet. Yes. That's quite a bit. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> it's a daunting challenge. <laughs> but we're up for it. <laughs> oh, you have to be. Yeah. Okay, so let's say that you are a congregation that has decided we want to go through this process. Whom do you work with? Whom do you contact? How do you start that? Great question. So the first thing that I would do is go to the reconcilingworks.org website and contact one of the staff folks there. Ryan Meralt is the program director for the RIC program and is a fantastic person to work with. If you're in Oregon, you can also reach out to us here at your local chapter and indicate that you are interested in starting to have this conversation in your congregation. There's several, several resources. If you go to the reconcilingworks.org forward slash resources site, there are some videos on a lot of different questions that people might have. There's lists for okay, so our congregation is already welcoming. Why would we need to say so? Or what is this RIC program? And there are things that you can print out and share within your community. Let's say you're a member of a congregation and you want to start having this conversation. I think it's important to start connecting with a few others in your community that may also be interested so you can have a little team that can start this work together. And check in with your pastor We don't want this to be a pastor-led process because the pastor needs to be the pastor of the entire community. And ideally, the movement comes from the lay people in the pews or folded chairs, whatever, rather than the pastor. And that also, we talked about the ownership of the community. That increases the ownership of the community around this idea as well. And there are several steps that the teams can work 
with their congregations on, a lot of what we emphasize are having conversations with people, having one-to-one conversations, building connections, finding out the common ground with people that you disagree and working to a place where you can come to that decision together and really seeing the grace that we all need in order to live in community. Mm -hmm. Becoming an RIC congregation is not about making everyone agree with you because that will never happen, right? Sure. (laughs) So part of it is just walking through that conversation and learning how to come to a place where we understand one another. And the other part that's important is sharing our stories. And as people share their stories and we hear the importance of a welcoming congregation to so-and-so who's the grandma of a gay grandson and they share a moving story of what it means to have a congregation that would support them and welcome them, that really touches people and changes hearts and minds. And so I would also encourage a lot of that finding your story and sharing your story and and really becoming comfortable in that as well. So those are kind of the first beginning steps that I usually recommend. Excellent. And how long do people usually spend going through this process? Is this something that typically takes a while? I mean, it's the Lutheran Church. Everything's done by committee. I feel like it takes time for things to happen anyway. But does it take longer than you would normally expect? It really depends on the community, truthfully. Some communities are already very diverse and very inclusive in their use of language on Sunday mornings. They may have visible people in leadership that are part of the LGBT community and so forth. That congregation may make a very quick decision. Other congregations where they may not even know if they have any gay people in the church, if they have a history of conflict in the congregation, you know, it could take three years, one year, something like that. And that's okay, too, because, again, it's not about making a quick decision at the cost of relationship, but really building relationships as you explore this topic together. Sure, sure. Now, part of the reason we wanted to touch on this topic is we are coming up on Pride Week here in Portland. Yes. Which is a fascinating time. And I'm curious how much presence that you have in Pride here in Portland and then across the country as well. Right. So we, on Sunday morning with the Pride Parade, that's the most visible place that you see churches. Mm -hmm. It's probably very different than it was 20 years ago. Oh, I can imagine. (laughs) Last year, we had, I think, our largest ever contingent of Lutherans and friends in the Reconciling Works contingent of the Pride Parade. I think we had almost 100 people, and we carry signs of all of the different congregations that are RIC in the state. And it's really moving to have the people on the street see Klamath Falls. There's people would welcome me at their church in Klamath Falls. Like, you know, when there were protesters and then we shout louder than the protesters, there's three of them and there's a hundred of us saying that God loves you. You know, there's some pretty powerful moments there. So we also participate in the trans pride march. For trans folks like myself, we'll be in the parade, but we're also trying to encourage people to, I call it, line the street with love. And so if you meet up at Northwest Davis and 
22nd, I believe. We're going to try to have some contingent there on the Saturday during the trans march and really cheering people on and saying, God loves you. And then there will be a booth that will have some handouts during the Pride Festival as well. Is this something that people are accepting of? Because religion in general has a really bad rap, I'm going to be honest. Absolutely. When it comes to being accepting of that, are they surprised to see you there? Yes. Some people are. I'm so grateful to meet people who came out as gay or lesbian or trans as a child and have been always welcomed and had a place in their congregation. That just makes my heart happy. But for the most part, there's a lot of surprise or there's a lot of frustration with the church still anger towards the church, question of, can I be gay and Christian? Can I be trans and Christian? And so because you can't easily deny the gay or trans part of yourself, then the part that often gets let go of is the Christian piece, right? Sure. So there are some moments of conversation around that or moments of surprise or moments of, I'm glad you're here. I've given up on the church, but I'm glad you're here. Sure. Oh, that's nice to hear. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, I grew up actually Catholic, and I grew up in the Midwest where there's it's a very different world, and you're kind of expected to go to church. And then when I moved out here, and most people don't go to church, that was an interesting shift for me. And Mm -hmm. to even have to go beyond that, I don't know. It's a tough haul. Yeah. That's one of the reasons that we've started The Flame, which is the LGBTQ outreach for the Oregon Synod. It's a little baby congregation. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) And we, you know, we understand there that people have really difficult relationships with the church and really come from different places. And some folks came from communities where it was very much expected that you would go every Sunday, but then... As soon as they grew up, they ran away from that. Oh, yeah, you get to college and you're not going anywhere. Yeah, yeah. Either because it was just not interesting or because it was full of shame and judgment Mm -hmm. or, you know, all of those reasons that we all know so well. So we say, yeah, you know, you can be mad at God or annoyed with God or not know why anyone would believe in God and, you know, come on by. You have a place here. So we really want to be a healing community of faith for all people. Okay, tell me a little bit more about The Flame then. Okay. Okay, you said it's an offshoot of the Oregon Synod of the ELCA. Yes, so it's basically a new little congregation. Okay. That's a mission development by the... So it's funded by the National Church and supported by the Oregon Church. Okay, and where is the headquarters? Are they here in Portland? Yes, so I'm the intern pastor and the mission developer. And we are currently meeting at St. James. They're hosting us for the summer. So we have an evening service, so we don't conflict with their service during the day. So, yeah, we have a gathering where we meet at 6.30 on Sunday nights and sit in a circle and get to know one another, have one-to-one conversations. We do talk about the gospel, and we kind of wrestle with that sometimes and what the heck that meant. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) And then we also include other readings. We make sure to have one of our readings be from a person from the queer community and one of them be from a person of color. Basically, we want to amplify voices that have been silenced or that, you know, aren't heard enough of in our congregations. And that's been really powerful. Is this a typical thing or is this a Portland Northwest thing? 
Are there offshoots like this in other parts of the country? Yes. So the ELCA, I'm really glad that they are committed to being creative and taking risks with these new communities. And so there are a variety of new starts in different places that are unique, if you will. Sure. (laughs) So there's a church slash brewing company in Florida. Oh, that's kind of fun. Yes. There's a dinner church in LA that also goes for hikes. I'm a little jealous of the fact that they actually have hikeable weather all year long. I guess we do too. There's no bad weather, only not sufficient equipment. Exactly. (laughs) I think in a lot of cities, there are different communities. Not all of them are intended specifically for outreach to the LGBT community, but we're not alone. So that's nice too. That is nice. So I want to get back to the ELCA itself. Is this something that they expect of most congregations or are you encouraged to do it or is it something that's just there if you want it? Yeah, the ELCA absolutely does not expect or even encourage this of congregations. And I would say even though the Oregon Synod, which Synod is our you know statewide sure. organizing body of the Lutheran Church, the Oregon Synod is an RIC Synod. I believe there are 29 RIC synods. Oh, that's pretty good. Yeah, it's a, it's good. But even a congregation in an RIC synod, there isn't an expectation from the synod that that means they're going to become an RIC congregation. Okay. Um, because we really understand that decrees from the top down do not make churches want to do this. And no. again, we really need to make sure that a congregation is a safe space. And you only do that by ensuring there's if you will, buy-in from the community. And so it's definitely completely 100% the local congregation's choice. That being said, do you ever have congregations that are like, you know, I know we said we were going to do this, but we're not really comfortable doing this. Can you go back? Absolutely. We do have a few congregations that have made that decision. I think actually, I don't know if it's even enough to number on one hand, but it's certainly an option. It's not a binding contract that there's no escape from. Okay. I know that we have found that some places where a pastor decrees it to be so and there isn't that local buy-in, then when that pastor moves on, then they're like, they're out. Ah, we didn't really mean it. But absolutely, there's freedom to change your mind if that's the case. But okay. we've found that congregations who make the decision and go through the process flourish and thrive and grow and have the percentages of congregation sizes are really good, new families coming in. And it's not just a gay couple saying, oh, we want to come in, although they then are welcome as well. But sometimes people who just have friends in the LGBT community, but are cisgender and straight say, we don't want to go to a church where our friends aren't welcome. And so then they'll find a place in your congregation as well. Nice. One invitation that I would extend to folks that are considering becoming a welcoming congregation or who are in a congregation that is already welcoming is to think about the different ways that you can make your welcome visible or make your love for all, including the LGBT community, visible. One of the ways to do that is to join us at Pride. I did forget to mention that we will be walking with two mini ponies who will be dressed up as rainbow unicorns. <laughs> I love yes, it. That is, that is going to be probably the highlight of the parade. Definitely a highlight. <laughs> and... The other opportunity that you have in September is for the Reconciling Works Welcoming Lutherans AIDS Walk team. So Saturday, September 9th, we'll be all joining there. 
and hope to really have a strong presence. Last year, there were protesters that were saying ugly things about what God believes about gay people, particularly at that event, which was ignorant and hateful. And I would love to see just a huge presence of people of faith saying there is no stigma, there is no shame, and God's love is for all. And so they can find out about that at aidswalkportland.org forward slash Lutherans. So I would invite them to join us there. And I promise to put all of the links on the website. So if you're finding us on iTunes, come to centralportland.org, look for the podcast page, and all that information will be there for you. We'll also try to get it up on Facebook as well. Okay, so I think we're ready for the last question. And I'm hoping to put a hopeful spin on this in that do you think we'll ever probably not necessarily in our lifetimes, but get to the point where it's just not an issue? I would like to believe so. I think that when we look at the uptick in acceptance and welcome of the LGBT community, of the positive representation in the media, of portrayals of happy queer couples in advertising, I just have to think that we are on the move in a really positive direction where people will say it doesn't really matter anymore. And I think maybe we'll always have a few holdbacks because sometimes I think there are people who just want to be curmudgeons or (laughs) hateful regardless. But I do think that we will get to a place where this is not an issue. And maybe I watched sci-fi and see some, see futuristic places where diversity is is embraced and and that is a vision of hope that I think is possible. Oh, I certainly hope so. Well, thank you Leo for taking the time to help us learn a little more about reconciling in Christ congregations. And thank you to our listeners for joining us. You can find us on iTunes or Facebook and we would love to hear from you. You can email us at podcast@centralportland.org. At and until the next time, remember, God loves you no matter what.